Let us pray. O most great and mighty God, whose glory is above all our thoughts and whose mercy is over all thy works, let the inspiration of the Holy Spirit assist us in all duties of this sacred day. Let us join in the praise of thy church with ardent affection. Let us hear thy word with earnest attention. And let the prayers and sacrifices of thy holy church offered unto thee this day be graciously accepted. Being created by thee, let us ever act for thy glory. And being redeemed by thee, let us render unto thee what is thine. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Reading from the Gospel of Luke, 16th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, Oh boy, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So we called in each one of his master's debtors, he asked the first how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be honest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Amen. I am uh, continually amazed by the ingenuity and the resourcefulness of some people to gain some sort of an advantage or to secure um, one's own position, a favorable position for themselves. I don't know if you've heard the story of the man who walks into a bank in New York City and asks for the loan officer. And 
Man says he's going to Europe for two weeks and uh, needs a loan of $5,000. And the loan officer says, well, the bank is going to need some security for the loan. And so the man hands over the keys and the documents to, his, to a, a brand new Bentley Continental parked on the street in front of the bank. Well, everything checks out and the bank agrees to accept the car as collateral for the loan. An employee of the bank drives the car down into the bank's underground garage and parks it there. Two weeks later, the man comes back from his trip and he repays the $5,000 of interest, or the $5,000 plus the interest, which, which amounted to $15.41. And the loan officer says, you know, we're very happy to have made this transaction and uh, it's worked out very nicely, but we're a little bit puzzled because we, we checked your background a little bit. It turns out you were a very wealthy man, and you live in a very fancy house in upstate New York, a sizable equity portfolio, and no debt at all. And so, you know, we're just kind of curious. Why would you feel the need to borrow $5,000? And the man replied, where, where else in New York City can I park my car for two weeks for 15 bucks? I mean... <laughs> Now, there's one ingenious fellow, huh? He's shrewd in his dealings. Or how about the two men who were walking their dogs down the street, and the one, one man had a German Shepherd, and the other had a Chihuahua? And uh, they happened to walk past a bar, and so one man said to the other, let's stop for a drink. And then the second man looked at the, looked at the door and said, no dogs allowed inside. And the first man said, well, watch this. And putting on a pair of sunglasses, he entered into the bar with his German shepherd. And the bartender stopped him and said, well, hey, there are no dogs allowed here. We can't serve you. And the man said, well, this is my seeing eye dog. He had sunglasses on. The bartender thought for a moment and said, okay, well, come on in. Served him. The second man who watched all this from the outside, he looked down at his chihuahua, <laughs> and he decided to go for it. So he put on his shades, closed his eyes, and entered the bar. And the bartender announced very loudly, no dogs allowed. And the man used the same line as his friend, you know, well, this is my seeing eye dog. And the bartender looked down at that little chihuahua and said, do you really expect me to believe that this chihuahua is a seeing eye dog? And the man said, what? They gave me a chihuahua? <laughs> Straddled up to the bar and had a drink. <laughs> See, people can be very clever, really very clever in getting what they want, or in getting out of a, a tight fix. And uh, Jesus told just such a story of a man who, was, who very cleverly secures his own position when in a very, uh, you know, tight predicament. 
The man, in fact, was a scoundrel, a crooked scoundrel, but a crafty one at that. It seems that he uh, has been totally neglecting his master's business. He's, uh, you know, in charge of the manager. He's the manager of the estate. He's uh, incompetent and um, perhaps engaged in dishonest dealings, and so he's, he's uh, in trouble because the master gets wind of all this and uh, calls the man in on the carpet and says, uh, what is this that uh, you have been doing or what you haven't been doing? Uh, I don't like it one bit, and, uh, and I want a complete accounting of your books and, uh, and by the way, leave your keys because you're out of here. I'm done with you. And the crooked manager is shocked. He's too old to find another job, or even if somebody was to offer him a job as a money manager, you know, where do we get around of his dishonest dealings and nobody would hire him? And, and uh, there was no, that any, no way that anybody would take a chance on him, and he was... Uh, you know, too proud to, to beg, and he was too old to dig ditches. And, uh, however, the guy was not without some smarts. So he sits down and figures out what he has to do to secure his future. He, after all, is going to need some room and board, uh, you know, in the future, since uh, apparently a severance package is not part of his dismissal. So before the word gets out of his firing, he goes out among all of his master's debtors and tells them that they can write off a good portion of their debts. You know, how much do you owe? A hundred jugs of olive oil. Well, then write 50. And, uh, and how much do you owe? And a uh, hundred sacks of wheat? Well, then, uh, hey, write down 80. And it may be that the, the, the crooked manager uses some money from his own pocket to make up the difference. If so, then his money is wisely invested, for he has just made himself a lot of friends who are so indebted to him they couldn't help but take him in off the street. You know, it's an old law. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, right? Well, somehow the master finds out what this manager has done. I guess the, the uh, master now is beginning to pay closer attention to his estate. And here the story takes a surprising turn. Remember parables? I mean, virtually every parable has this twist or this surprise. The master actually commends his manager for his shrewdness. Man, I got to give it to you. <laughs> You are a scoundrel, but man, you are, you are a really shrewd scoundrel. You made the most of the resources at your disposal. I mean, I'm just, I'm just totally impressed. And who knows, maybe the master was so impressed that maybe he gave that guy his job back. Who knows? That's not part of the story. But this is a very strange story from the mouth of Jesus. For he appears to be commending the acts of a dishonest manager, lifting him up as a model of virtue. I mean, this parable is alone among all the parables, and it's so strange that way. He would appear to be saying, that is Jesus, that we ought to be using our money dishonestly in order to secure our own future, just like the man in the parable. 
And actually, that couldn't be further from the truth because you have to read on. You have to read the, the conclusion. The main point of this parable lies in the contrast between the children of this world represented by the dishonest manager and the children of God. For the people of this world are more shrewd, says Jesus, in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Essentially, Jesus is saying this. You know, there are a lot of very worldly people who are extremely shrewd in their business dealings. And they will do whatever it takes to secure their advantage over, over others to pursue their selfish aims, just like the crooked manager in the story. They're constantly on the alert. They're looking at the angles, surviving and getting ahead by their wits. They are clever and scheming. And even if they are dishonest and preoccupied with their own security and welfare, but if the children of this world are so clever in advancing their own purposes and aims, then how much more should the children of light, God's people, who are called by much higher standards, be shrewd in making the most of the resources they have to advance God's purposes? Oftentimes you see this in Jesus' parables. It's the how much more. If it's like this in the world, how much more is it? as we talk about the kingdom of God. How much more? How different it is here. We are to be wise in the use of the resources that God has put in our hands. Obviously, we're not to be dishonest, but we are to be shrewd and resourceful. That's what Jesus is commending here. Shrewd, I don't, the, the word shrewd has kind of a negative connotation oftentimes. Uh, my dictionary defines shrewd as someone who is disposed to artful and cunning practices, tricky. But actually, this is the second meaning in, in the dictionary. The first meaning is much more positive. Shrewd, characterized by keen awareness, sharp intelligence, and often a sense of the practical. So you see, we are to practice shrewd stewardship. You and I are to be keenly aware, sharply intelligent, and supremely practical in the way we use our resources, specifically our money, so that we may extend our money to, to places where God's kingdom is advanced and where people are blessed. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You and I are to use our worldly wealth shrewdly and unselfishly to make friends, yes, for ourselves, but above all, for God. We are to use our money so that others are touched and healed and blessed. These are the things of eternal value. This is what Jesus talks about, building up treasures in heaven, giving money to things of eternal value, significance. So the question is for, for us, are you and I, Shrewd in our use of money? Are we spending things, are we spending our money on things that matter eternally 
Or on the other hand, are we throwing away a lot of money on stuff that just doesn't really matter? Money, when used and given properly, can be an incredible tool of blessing. I like what Bruce Larson said about money. He said, money is really another pair of feet to walk where Christ would walk. Money is another pair of hands to heal and feed and bless the desperate families of the earth. Money is my other self. Money can go where I do not have time to go, where I don't have youth to go, where I do not have a passport to go. My money can go in my place and heal and bless and feed and help. So you and I may not be able to, to, uh, to travel to places where a natural disaster has hit, and we may not be the people who are handing out emergency supplies, but from afar, we can, make, we can give our money and, and uh, put emergency supplies in the hands of aid workers. Money can be turned into a bowl of rice for those who are hungry, be turned into shelter for people who need it. When money is used in this way, it benefits others. There's an eternal impact. We're making friends for all eternity. Jesus speaks, this particular verse spoke to me. Jesus speaks of making friends and being welcomed into eternal dwellings. And this is kind of a sobering thought. When, when you and I leave this earth and we are stripped of all our money, as you remember, you can't take it with you. There, there are no luggage racks on a hearse. There's no pockets in a shroud. When our lives are ended and our money is stripped from us and we're ushered before the throne of God, will there be some friends there of ours, friends of ours, who will welcome us and who can testify on our behalf? Will they be able to say, you know, I was spiritually hungry, and through your giving, you made it possible for me to, to meet the Savior, to know Jesus Christ. You made it possible for me to hear the Word of God. Thank you. You know, I was physically hungry, and you made it possible for me to have something to eat. Thank you for that. I was naked, and you gave me some clothes to wear. I was homeless. You provided shelter. So, when you and I arrive at the pearly gates, or, you know, when we enter into heaven, will heaven be full of people who will cheer us, cheer our entrance, and who will say, welcome home, dear friends. You gave of yourself and of your resources so that we could know the Savior and live eternally. Thank God for you. And then we'll remember Jesus saying, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And of course, with wealth goes the responsibility to put it to good use. So we are managers of what God has given us. And in fact, everything we have is God-given, really. And each of us will be called to account by God for our management of His resources that He's placed in our hands. And the key then to making the most of our, of our money is to remember whose money it is. It's not our money. It's God's money. 
John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, put it this way. He says, when the possessor of heaven and earth brought you into being and placed you in this world, he placed you here not as an owner, but as a manager, as a steward. As such, he entrusted you for a season with goods of various kinds, but the sole property of these still rests in him, nor can ever be alienated from him. As you are not your own but his, such is likewise all you enjoy. So it's not ours at all. You and I are managers of what God has entrusted to us. And that's why Jesus often tells stories about managers and stewards. There are other places where He talks about that. We have what really belongs to God. And therefore, money is not to be worshipped or obsessed over or hoarded or used dishonestly for our own aims, but it is to be used as our servant, as a tool for kingdom purposes. And so, therefore, we have to be very deliberate in thinking about our worldly wealth, trying to be shrewd, thinking about how can we best use this money that God's kingdom may grow so that people may be blessed. How are, to we, how are we to use our resources, put it in places where it can make an eternal impact upon the lives of others? So we need to be very shrewd, and then we have to give generously. For John Wesley also said, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. This is a season, oftentimes in fall, is a season to think a little bit about our worldly wealth and, and our resources and, and, uh, and to think more deliberately about our giving, our giving to the ongoing ministry and mission of this church and, to, and uh, other causes as well. It's a, it's a time to engage in some soul searching, perhaps do some seriously wrestling with God over the issue of money, how much we ought to give and how we ought to give it so that our resources can be pooled together in a way that can truly advance the mission of God. And I think of, of, of all the people today and in the future, this particular church will touch, impacting lives for eternity, making friends for God. I mean, is there anything more important than investing in the kingdom of God? Is there anything more important than for people to hear the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ? Is there, more, is there anything more important for His Word to go out so that His Word might fill the, the spiritual emptiness of our time? Is there anything more important than blessing others in Jesus' name such that they'll want to know Him Do we want our kids and our grandkids and our friends and neighbors to know Jesus? If we love the Lord, we'll give generously to His work and we'll be very shrewd in the way that we use it. I do want you to know, and I need, I need to say this frequently, is that as a church staff and the elders, the leaders, the deacons, 
they are fully aware that that uh, that all all the money that comes in has been given in good faith by somebody. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a hard-earned nickel or dollar, or what what have you. So we take our stewardship very seriously. We really do watch over our finances. And uh, we have a great elder board, and they are very careful to make sure that that money goes to kingdom purposes in a, in a way that really honors God. So we realize as leaders in the church that you have put your trust in us. Uh, and we realize that God has entrusted us to be really good managers. So you can feel good about the money you give to this church. It's not how much we have, but how we use it that counts. And our Lord is telling us to think and to act shrewdly, carefully determining the best way we can stretch and employ our money to advance the kingdom and to benefit others. It's an opportunity that we have to make friends for ourselves, but above all for, above all for God. Lord, make us shrewd and generous investors in things that really matter. To you be the glory, O oh God. You have blessed us beyond measure. May we take those blessings and use them to bless others in your precious name. Amen.